This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, September 7th, year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed. We're coming off about 19 consecutive days of college football, it feels like. we got a big week two coming up. We're going to be on the road. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But it is Tuesday night. As you know, Tuesday night is a big night around here. Not only do we, in all likelihood, add some best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express, which we will be doing. I've got two added best bets. Have not even tweeted them out yet. They will debut. They will be unveiled on this very live broadcast. We've got full week two predictions. We're going to hit the Oregon-Ohio State game. Of course, the Iowa-Iowa State game. We're going to hit Texas-Arkansas. I've got some thoughts on Florida State and Miami. They didn't play each other this week, nor do they next week. But they lost in week one. A lot of people have lied to you and told you you are what your record says you are. Of course, as we have told you many times, that is one of the biggest lies in college football. I'll tell you what I mean about that in just a few minutes. All that, plus we have a brand new edition of the JP poll, which is not our ranking system. It's not as if we are filling out our own ballot for the AP and saying this is where teams should be ranked. No, friends. It's as if we're running our own sports book over here at Pate State, which is probably illegal, but we're going to do it anyway. This is where we would power rate teams, i.e. North Carolina's not fallen below Virginia Tech this week, even though they just lost to Virginia Tech. Uh, I say all that to say basically take it in the proper context. So we are four days from the late kick renaissance tour rolling into Ames. I'm slowing down because I really want to emphasize. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to talk about the game tonight. We're going to break it down. But, you know, I was thinking about this, and it was pointed out to me that college game day is going to be there. And technically, they announced they were going before us. Eh, who cares who came first? The point is, we're all going to be there. And, you know, someone made a really good point on Twitter today. Wouldn't it just be a shame? I mean, wouldn't it be a crying shame if you turned on college game day on Saturday and there were all kind of late kick posters and Pate State Freights posters and signage in the background? Wouldn't it be a shame, for instance, if I tweeted out the most high-resolution version of those logos for you to take and do with whatever you want later tonight after the show? Wouldn't that be a shame? I just wanted to have that said. All right, let's move into the show. At Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram. Before we do game breakdowns tonight, and we got three big ones coming up, I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes on something that's been kind of, kind of bubbling for a little while now. So Florida State and Miami both played a game last week. Uh, Miami lost convincingly to Alabama. Florida State had one of the most inspiring performances in week one. They lost narrowly, but they lost. They both lost. FSU lost to Notre Dame. And there's a big lie out there that I want to address right now. But first, let me pull it up right quick so I can have the most up-to-date, fresh data possible. Earlier today, as I am prone to do, if I know I'm going to talk about something on the show that night, I like to get your feedback on it. we got a big enough audience now to where we get a pretty good sample size of voters. So, for instance, I put out a Twitter poll earlier today. I'm looking at it right now. Forecast the next three years is what I asked you to do. 
Which program do you think will be in a stronger position entering the 2024 college football season, Florida State or Miami? Now, you may or may not know the results, so go ahead and think for yourself right now. If you're watching live, if you're watching the replay or listening on the podcast tomorrow, which program entering 2024, when the memory of week one is long since faded away in 2021, which of these programs will be in a better position? Right now, as you make your own mind up, 69% are on Florida State, and we've got about 31% on Miami. Do you agree with that? Let's dive in. Let's talk. There is recency bias here. Clearly, as my Miami fans were more than willing to point out, there is recency bias with this. Sure, the lasting image in your mind is of Mackenzie Milton and Florida State nearly pulling the upset off. Meanwhile, uh, Miami got battered around pretty good by Alabama. Yes. I mean, if the roles were reversed, Florida State would have been housed by Alabama. I don't know what Miami would have done with Notre Dame, but I can tell you, yes. So this number with Florida State, probably a little inflated, but I think it is still stands to reason there are probably more people who believe in the long-term future of Florida State right now than Miami. So there's good news for Miami, but I'm going to detail all this in sort of an order here. But the first thing I wanted to dive into and talk about is one of the biggest lies in college football that is told all the time is you are what your record says you are. It's garbage. It's total garbage. It's a falsity. Both these teams are 0-1 right now. Do they feel the same to you? And what was accomplished this weekend? Each of them lost. What was accomplished? This weekend, if you understand college football, and especially if you understand football in the state of Florida, you know what the subplot was. It wasn't about whether Miami can take down Alabama. We didn't think it was going to be about whether FSU can take down Notre Dame. They nearly did it. It's about recruiting. People who know the sport on a more intimate, granular level, they knew that the biggest competition Miami has recruiting South Florida is Alabama, which again, 30 years ago would sound asinine, 15 years ago to sound asinine, but that's the way it is now. Miami didn't need to beat Alabama, but they, they absolutely needed to look more convincing and more competitive than they were. Well, they weren't. And so that's something they got to rectify, okay? No one believes Miami has arrived yet, but they needed a better performance, flat out, than they had against Alabama. Conversely, Mike Norvell and his staff circled this game, standalone Sunday night game against Notre Dame, and they circled it, and they weren't apologetic about it. They knew they were going to be an underdog. They knew it was an uphill climb, but they packed that place as full of recruits as they could possibly pack it. And then they got to showcase Doak Campbell Stadium in as rare form as it's been in several years. I remember being there a few years back when I think it was Deshaun Watson and Clemson came in there and narrowly beat them. And it was pretty lit that night. Hasn't been like that very often. And so they got a perfect storm. They got a highly ranked, nationally recognized brand coming in there. They got the stage all to themselves on Sunday night. And then they almost come back and win the thing. And they do it in sort of a Disney-like fashion to where the whole country kind of galvanizes. If you're not a hardcore Notre Dame fan and you were just neutral and watching, you're sitting there pulling for FSU. We had money on Notre Dame. And I even caught myself secretly rooting for FSU, which is just ridiculous. But anyway, what happened was they lost the game, but they won in so many other ways. Florida State had a house full of recruits. What they wanted to sell them on is they wanted to sell them on the unique environment at Florida State. They wanted to sell them on the concept that now and in the future, you can come here and you can compete with the big boys, and you can win. And this is, a, this is an environment that's very unique under college football. And they check, check, check. All those boxes got checked. And so, yeah, you can take, tell me all you want to. You are what your record says you are. Both these teams are 0-1. Florida State got a huge win, intangible in nature right now. They got a huge win this weekend that Miami did not get. And so when you look forward now, 
knowing the name of the game is recruiting, when you look forward, that stuff matters. This weekend for Florida State is going to matter years down the road. When you look at their talent roster in 2024, the remnants and the after effects of that Sunday night game will be felt. We could have said the same thing for all we know about Miami in 2024. They weren't able to put forth, I would call it a competitive enough product to really matter against Alabama. Now, here's the good news. As was pointed out several times in the comment section under this tweet, these are teams who play each other every year. So the good news for Miami is November 13th is coming. And Miami will be able to erase all this, especially when it comes to in-state battles. You know, you can look at what Florida State did against Notre Dame. You can look at what we did against Alabama. How about you look at what we did against them? And if Miami beats them 30 to 13, then all of a sudden, a lot of this gets erased. And a lot of this at least has the volume knob turned down on it. But until that point, I think it very much matters what just happened this last weekend. You're looking right now at Miami's schedule. They've got App State this weekend. It's which is why I'm not looking past App State because the the line is single digits on that game. And then they got Michigan State. They got a few weeks before they dive back into conference play. But for the 2021 ACC race purposes, we're looking at that date at North Carolina on October 16th. Uh, but also, you look down the road a little ways at, what is it, November 13th? That's when they play Florida State. So a lot of this is in the remains-to-be-seen category. Uh, that is the nature of a forward-thinking poll. No one knows how it's going to turn out. But to discount the value of Sunday night's narrow loss and to just label it a loss that's equal to all other losses is ignorant. You don't get college football. That's the way you think. All right, let's move on. we got a loaded show tonight. Huh, let me tell you what happened yesterday. Just an advertiser's or a marketer's or a host's dream. I log in to Twitter, and I see two of you have taken screenshots of yourself on academy.com, and you're purchasing products, and you're flat out saying, I am buying stuff from academy.com because they are sponsoring Late Kick now. I didn't tell you to do that. It wasn't from one of my burner accounts. It wasn't direct to Colin. Me and Colin don't buy new clothes very often, full disclosure, in case you hadn't noticed around here. And so uh, you guys did that on your own. Well, uh, you're going to be shocked by this, but the folks at Academy really love that. And so let's just, let's continue to do that. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, they are our partner now. It's an exclusive partner. We don't have 47 sponsors on this show. Uh, we got the college football playoff mug here, or canteen, and it's really, really out of place considering my thoughts on the playoff, Colin. <laughs> we need to get a new... We get some new swag for the, uh, for the desk. We've got the stars over there, which I stole from Pat Foley's desk a long time ago. And then we've got the uh, college football playoff cantina, which was a free media gift at one of the national championship games. That and the book bag I carry around every day. Look, if you want new stuff, which I'm talking about right now, Academy Sports and Outdoors is your spot. Can you imagine the scene this Saturday in Ames, Iowa? Can you imagine the scene this Saturday in Fayetteville, Arkansas, when Texas comes to town? Imagine the tailgate scene. And if you've been on campuses before for these big games, you know what I'm talking about. You see the canopies, you smell it, the grills are everywhere, the food's everywhere, the merchandise is everywhere. 95% of what I'm talking about right now is available at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And not only are they the outdoor official supplier of the Big 12 and the SEC, they're the official supplier of Late Kick. And that's really all you need to know. So if you can't get to one in person, academy.com is your hookup. Check them out. They will get you set no matter where you're headed for a game day Saturday. All right, let's break some games down. I didn't even mention Columbus, Ohio. That's a big one too. Oh man, this start time. All right, let's just talk about it. 
Oregon at Ohio State. Buckeyes favored by 14 this morning, 14 and a half now. It is a noon Eastern time kickoff on Fox. And for those of you unfamiliar, Oregon does not reside on the Eastern time zone. They reside in the Pacific time zone. It's a 9 a.m. kickoff for them. Quack, quack. Welcome to Big Fox Saturday. I love the early window, but I grew up in Eastern time zone, and I'm in Central now, so it's not a big deal for me, but it is. I mean, if you're, if you're living out there in Sacramento or you're living in uh, Pocatello, Idaho, hello, Pocatello, first mentioned on the show, this is ridiculous. You're eating bacon and eggs and you're watching actual games being played. You're not talking about it at a tailgate and it's still several hours away. So, man, as far as the game goes, because we can't change the kickoff time, these are two of the premier brands in the sport. This is one of the most beautiful out-of-conference matchups of the year, but they're two of the most premier recruiting brands in the game, too. And if you've been following recruiting, Ohio State's always there. Mario Cristobal and his staff have been killing it. They're just out working, folks. And they're going into several states. It's not just a one or two state effort. They don't just hawk all of Southern California. They go all over the place. This would so help them. It's kind of that situation that Miami found themselves in, only this game should be more competitive. But it's one of those, if you win, that's wonderful and all is well, all is great with the world there. But even if you're competitive... That's enough to sell in recruiting. So you've got an opportunity two ways here. Ohio State, it's the opportunity that they really didn't fully stamp last week, and that is the opportunity to announce themselves as a for-sure bona fide national championship contender. Because if you watched them last week and I told you they're playing Alabama Saturday, you'd pick Bama by two or three touchdowns. Now that wouldn't be the way probably that it plays out in a point spread, but that's what you'd think. So there's still a long way to go and a long way to grow for Ohio State. But for Oregon, this is a chance to measure yourself against one of the best rosters in America. Oregon is not a typical Pac-12 team. Independent of what last week's result led you to think you know, they are not a typical Pac-12 team. So anyone that thinks this is some blowout from jump and you know a Pac-12 team is not going to compete with Ohio State, no, most of them wouldn't. Oregon would fit in very well in several other major conferences, and they'd be a contender. That's not a prediction on the game. I'm about to make that, but just be heads up. So they both played fairly good teams in week one. Minnesota was a good team. Fresno State's a lot better team, I think, than most people realize. And there was mild freak out about both offenses. You know, C.J. Stroud overthrowing receivers early. I'm getting text messages at halftime of week one. Is it time to pull the plug? Well, Ryan Day did not text me that, and he did not pull the plug. And they're going to be okay. Believe it or not, C.J. Stroud going to be okay. And he doesn't have to do nearly as much as most other quarterbacks because he's got fighter jets all around him. He just make good decisions. He'll be okay. But with Oregon, you know, there were questions about them too. I think it had a lot more to do with the offensive game plan going in. But then an Oregon Duck fan would counter and say, nah, nah, we have failed to live up to the expectation level I've had for our offense for several, several situations now, several games under Mario Cristobal. I just want us to use our weapons more. Okay, well, in any event, for the folks who are just telling me, oh, we weren't good enough in week one, that doesn't really tell me much. You got to zoom in and you got to give me specifics about week one. So dive into where this game, this Oregon Ohio State game, is going to be won or lost. First thing I'm looking at Oregon's defensive back play, when you talked about this game in the summer, was looked at as a glaring vulnerability. I don't view it that way. In fact, I think Oregon's defensive backs, corners and safeties specifically, they're getting a couple of them back this week. I think they'll be able to, relatively speaking, match up with Ohio State's receiver core almost as well as any team they're going to play in the regular season or the Big Ten championship game if they make it there. 
I'm not telling you they're going to go toe-to-toe and not give up anything. I'm telling you athletically and speed-wise, those corners and safeties are not bad for Oregon. Where Oregon's going to have to shore things up considerably is pass coverage at linebacker. They got some supremely talented linebackers, but they're young and still inexperienced in that facet of the game. It's just not something you do a whole lot at the high school level. That is where that game could be won or lost. It's where it could really loosen things up, shall I say, for Ohio State's passing game. You can live, if you're Oregon, you can live with those big-time receivers for Ohio State just making plays, just being better than your guys. You can live with that. What you can't live with is making C.J. Stroud do nothing more than throw the ball five or six yards over the middle and then watch his receivers run free another 20, 25 yards after catch because you had missed tackles. You had missed assignments or missed reads at linebacker. That's one thing. The second thing, which is imperative and we can't know it at this point, is the status of Kayvon Thibodeau, who may be one of the best players in the country. There's no maybe to it. He's one of the best players in the country. He has the ability, he's a supremely talented pass rusher, to change a game. One of very few players in America you would say that about. And he sprained his ankle last week. He's questionable right now. Uh, Oregon needs him to win the game. feel pretty confident in saying that. Number two, and the way we do these games, if there's a two-touchdown spread, is we spend a lot of time talking about the underdog because the spread is what it is for a reason. I don't need to tell you all the advantages Ohio State has. We want to paint a picture of how the upset could possibly happen. Oregon needs to do more stuff than Ohio State. There's a lot that Oregon needs to do. This is not a pick game. It's a two-touchdown spread for a reason. So Oregon's got to force the issue a little bit more. They probably have to win the turnover battle. They probably have to take more risk offensively, really. A lot of these things have to happen in conjunction. But their offensive game plan last week will not get it done. Now, I think they understand that. I don't think they're using a mirror image game plan here. But Oregon's got to give themselves a chance. Last week's game plan, and to be frank with you, the kind of game plan they've gone into battle with a few too many times as of late will not get it done. Now, this makes you uneasy. If you're a guy like Mario Cristobal, I know it makes you uneasy. But if you've ever taught a kid to ride a bike, like, you know, you push them and you push them and you push them, the training wheels are off and you're kind of guiding them. Eventually, though, there comes a time where you got to take your hands off their lower back and you just got to let them glide. They may fall, they may not, but there's only one way to learn. You eventually got to let it go. And with Oregon, when you got the kind of skill they have, and I know good and well they have it, it hasn't been fully utilized. This is the week you got to do it. And it's high risk, high reward. Absolutely it is. But like I said, the default setting is not you being on equal footing with this team. You're going into what will be a packed house, extremely hostile environment, the most incredible atmosphere your kids will have played in. You've got enough athletes. You've recruited well enough. And so you've got to take some risk. Ohio State doesn't. They don't have to take as much risk. They're in their backyard. they got the better roster. you got to take some risk. you got to let go of the bike. And you got to let your horses run. It's what you got to do. You got to let your athletes play. And you got to use a little bit more of that 53 yards they give you as opposed to just the 100 vertical. You got to get those guys in space more. And you got to trust, you got to trust Anthony Brown. You may not feel supremely confident about it, but you got to trust him because this is going to be the fastest team that Ohio State faces in the regular season. But it doesn't matter if you don't use all that space. And, and that's, that's a welcome, that is a welcome idea by the way, if Kerry Combs in that defense is you playing in a phone booth. They welcome that. He'd love you to do that. In fact, he'd get out of the way and let you line up in any formation you want to in bunch sets and whatnot. He'd love for you to do that. Run into that brick wall all day. What he doesn't want 
is he doesn't want to see you all of a sudden with those wider splits. He doesn't want to see those receivers taking up that entire field. And he doesn't want you distributing the ball to a number of different playmakers, including those backs out of the backfield. That's not what Ohio State wants to see. They're interested in watching you play the way you have played, to be perfectly clear. So thirdly, as it relates to last week, here's where we started, here's where we'll end before we make the prediction. As it relates to last week, I am pretty confident in saying that Ohio State went into the Minnesota game and Oregon went into the Fresno State game, and the offensive game plans are what a lot of people use as a term, and it's very overused, but I think it's accurate here. They had sort of vanilla game plans. They had do enough and survive in advance type of game plans, and both of them almost got bit by it. A lot of you don't think this happens. This does happen. Whatever these passing games are capable of, this is where you'll find out about it. Because no one in Columbus, Ohio, had the Minnesota game circled to unveil every facet of their passing attack. They had the Oregon game circled. No one in Eugene, Oregon, looked to the schedule and said, boy, we're unloading on Fresno. No, they said, here's what we're going to use against Fresno. Here's everything we're going to use in week two, and we're going to let the chips fall where they may in Columbus. That is why I expect a better offensive showing from both teams, or if it's not a better offensive showing, They're going to end up turning the ball over, which I think will ultimately decide a couple of scores in this game, by the way, because there will be more risk taken through the air by each team, Fully even Ohio State. I fully believe that. So, Jesse, let's take a look at what Vegas thinks, and let's take a look at what the late kick model thinks. The model performed pretty well across the board last week, by the way. So the noon kickoff here, the Caesars line currently is Ohio State minus 14 and a half. Our number is even bigger. Our number is at Ohio State minus 16 and a half. I expect a different level of play from Oregon offensively this week, detailing and reasoning being a lot of the things I just said. Because of that, I will pick Ohio State to win the game. I actually think the number is going to come inside two touchdowns. I think they'll be more competitive. I think, quite frankly, Ohio State, not Ohio State, they won't be surprised. I think some of America will be a little surprised at how effective Oregon is Saturday. I think a lot of people expect them to get blown out. Uh, Or at the very least, they expect it to be competitive early and then Ohio State stretches it late. I think Oregon's going to play four quarters with them. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they'll be very competitive. And if those turnovers do start going their way, they absolutely have a puncher's chance of winning. Give me Buckeyes to win. Give me Ducks to cover. Let's move it on. I'm not just going to do all the game previews stacked on top of each other this week, mainly because it makes me hoarse. I just talk myself into the ground. So what we're going to do is we're going to split them up. And right now, JP poll, week two time. There's your in-cut, Colin. In fact, here's your new in-cut, because that'll sound sloppy. Three, two, one. JP poll time, week two edition. A quick refresher. This is not a ranking system. This is not how I would fill out an AP ballot if I were on the playoff committee. This is not how I would rank the teams. For instance, we started out this season with Cincinnati at 18. I would never rank Cincinnati at 18. I power rated them at 18. The only purpose behind this thing is to tell you who I would favor against who, or whomst I would favor against whomst on a neutral field. So what we like to do is go 25 to 1. I'm going to give it to you really quick. We don't spend like 15 minutes on this because it's kind of pretentious to do so. If labeling a poll with your own initials is not already pretentious enough. So let's go 25 to 21 here. Minnesota did not fall very far. In fact, Minnesota, their grade, which I don't show you, I just show you their ranking, did not fall at all because they performed as we expected them to perform against Ohio State. They fell two spots because a couple of teams we had to bump up. So Minnesota's at 25. Auburn hops into the 25 or 24 spot. They hop five spots up. They are at number 24. Michigan is ranked. I hate that they lost Ronnie Bell. 
because he's worth he's worth a little something to us as a player in terms of just raw point total. Michigan's at 23. They hopped up four spots. One of the big fallers was Miami. you got to be careful with this stuff because there is a, a steep drop-off point past about the fourth or fifth or sixth team in the country where Alabama's going to blow anyone out. And so it doesn't matter if you're ranked 8th or 18th or 28th. They'll just put the same looking final score on you. So we are careful with this. I'm not dropping Miami off a cliff. They did drop a couple spots, and then they dropped a couple more spots. It looks like cost teams rose above them. So Miami's at 22. Iowa is at 21. Going to talk a lot more about Iowa coming up later in the show. Top 20 time here. LSU, we dropped them as far as any team we dropped in the entire poll this week. In fact, they were the biggest mover of any team. It is very rare that you see a 10-point change on our board. But we dropped LSU from 10 to 20. Uh, that has a lot to do with intangibles as well as tangibles. North Carolina is at 19. We dropped them seven spots. That's another big drop. Our biggest moves are week one to week two. So this is probably one of the last times you'll ever see moves this big. Utah is at 18, virtually unchanged. Southern Cal bumped up a couple of spots to 17. TCU, we are very high on. TCU, I wish I could have gotten the bet out to you. I bet them at eight this week. They're at 10 and a half now, so it's not going to be a ramen noodle pick. But I, I love TCU right now. They're at 16. Bumping it up into the top 15, the Oregon Ducks going on the road this week to Ohio State. I've got them at 15. That is down four spots. Now, the model, as I told you, was kind of confused because the model looked at Oregon's relative lack of efficiency against Fresno, and it did what it did. I looked at it, and I think there's more there, but this is the model's poll. This is not my poll. Texas jumps up pretty big time. They are up eight spots to number 14, and they got another shot this week to impress even more against Arkansas. Number 13 is Florida. They're up two spots. Wisconsin dropped four spots. I know a lot of you are going to look at that and think we didn't drop them enough. It it was a competitive game. They were one for four in the red zone. That's the kind of stuff that in terms of future predictability doesn't always carry over. So we got Wisconsin at 12. Notre Dame is at 11. Probably be some controversy there too. I happen to think that it was pretty impressive they held on the other night. And then we get to the top 10. Anyone stay up last night through all the targeting penalties? Anyone watch the Labor Day night game? Ole Miss was there. Ole Miss won convincingly. Uh, Man, one of the running backs knocked a kid into another time zone down near the goal line when I think a lot of folks on defense thought the game was over and running back didn't think it was over. Anyway, we got Ole Miss at 10. Had him at 14. AP didn't even have him ranked. So everyone, as we told you after week one, we, we dialed it out for you. I said, after week one, the AP will have him ranked. Well, it is after week one. The AP came out today. They have them ranked. They're still not high enough on them. We got Ole Miss at number 10, and I would put it to you like this. Find me 10 other teams that you would pick confidently over Ole Miss if they played tomorrow neutral field. Given how impressive and improved their defense looked last night and knowing what Ole Miss is offensively, they didn't have Lane Kiffin calling plays last night. That's a big deal. They can tell you all they want to about Jeff Levy. That's a big deal. So Ole Miss at number 10. Cincinnati's a huge riser. Uh, The model screwed up on Cincinnati. I'll apologize for the model, but I don't want to take blame. It's the model's fault. So we have corrected for Cincinnati. They're number nine now. Iowa State is at number eight. They are down two spots. Struggled against Northern Iowa. More on that in a second. And then we got Penn State at number seven. Penn State, I am going to warn them. Ball State is going to come in there Saturday. And you're coming off the Wisconsin game, and you got Auburn on deck, and Ball State's a 22-point underdog. Do what you're supposed to do. From the model and myself to you, do what you're supposed to do. 
Texas A&M is at number six. For the rest of the way, it's, it's almost unchanged. So let's go quickly top five. Oklahoma is down three spots. That's the biggest fall at number five. Still got questions at quarterback. I dialed it out for you in parade detail the other night. I'm not going to go down that road again. Clemson at number four. Ohio State at number three. Georgia is up three spots. The number one and two teams in the country are Alabama and Georgia. So as far as that goes, we agree with the AP. Quickly to wrap it up, I think Jesse made a fancy full screen for you. I don't show you the entire top 25 again, but it is Bama, Georgia, 1-2. And there you see the entire top 10. For the record, Ole Miss at number 10. That's about as high as I've seen anyone have them ranked. We feel good about Ole Miss right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, let's move it on. Texas is interesting, too, outside the top 10. Where do we have them? We got Texas at 14. And I mentioned the Longhorns because we're about to talk about them here because we got a big game in Fayetteville. It's a big game. I mean, I I think a lot of folks, because it's been two years, you you still haven't really gotten back acclimated with what road situations mean in college football. Going on the road is hard. It is hard to do. And now that you've got a third of your roster in any given situation that has not played in those environments, it's even harder. So you may look at this point spread and you may say, Texas minus six and a half, man, they blew out Louisiana last week. Louisiana's better than Arkansas, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, this is a point spread for a reason. It's public. You can go bet on it if you want to. So let's jump into this thing. Texas minus six and a half at Arkansas. This is a Saturday 7 p.m. kickoff Eastern time on ESPN. This is going to be fun. I mean, you saw Arkansas struggle against Rice. What is our biggest rule on the show? Do not lose to food. And sure enough, Arkansas almost lost to Rice last week, but they got it together in the end, and they rallied and ended up pulling away and covering. That's got to hurt, holding that Rice ticket. That's got to hurt. But then again, I would ask you, what, what is a responsible adult doing holding a Rice ticket? And that's rhetorical, because when you see the kind of ticket I'm going to ask you to hold in the Ramen Noodle Express later, I'll be the biggest hypocrite in the world. So let's dive in here. Simple flip that Arkansas has to fix. This time last week, we were going into a game and we were wondering, uh, is Texas going to have enough synergy? Hudson Card, first-time starter at quarterback, don't know about the wide receiver position, don't know about the offensive line. How's Texas going to find some consistency? Well, I'll tell you how they did it, and I'm going to tell you what Arkansas has to keep them from doing this week. Texas last week, third down passing, 8 of 10. It's going to win you a lot of football games. Arkansas, they can specialize. They can bread and butter that thing just by shaving that in half. You shave that in half, you take, for all we know, two or three possessions away from Texas, that's enough to change a football game. I'm going to go through a couple of more things here, but just Texas offensively on third down, that's how they won and pulled away last week. 
That's how you can keep it a tight ball game this week. Secondly, the Arkansas quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, some of you have watched him, many more of you have not. He ran the ball a few times last week. I don't know how Sam Pittman and his staff watched that game film against Rice and don't run K.J. Jefferson 12 to 15 times this week. It's one of your biggest weapons and surest weapons that you can have on a team that still has a lot of question marks about it offensively. K.J. Jefferson, if at least he's able to fall forward and pick up some added yardage and first downs and extend drives, or at most rips off runs like he did, I think, to open the scoring for Arkansas the other day, or how about doubly at most, he's able to hit a couple of pop passes once you've established that run by him throwing on the run that's a different dynamic. It's a dynamic they have to use. Arkansas has to use that. They don't have 15 different ways to light you up. But this is one of the ways that they can move the chains, they can keep possession of the ball, and keep Texas off the field. Also, as you noticed last week, if you're a Texas Longhorn fan especially, when you were watching that Louisiana game, did you notice something that you didn't notice a whole lot this time last year or last couple of years? There is an A word. It's not Austin. It's not attitude. It's adjustment. I know someone watching in Fortson, Georgia right now who would swear up and down that the stupidest thing in football is waiting until halftime to make adjustments. It's just, it's like the the bane of his existence. And that would be my father, by the way. What he would say is, everyone's got a headset on, everyone's watching the same game, team has to come to the sideline after every possession, why can't you fix it with four minutes to go until the half? Well, Sark's good at doing that. They made adjustments throughout the game last week, Texas did, and offensively, they kept improving throughout the game. Well, That's all well and good. You now have to carry it over week to week. What he's not going to do, he being Steve Sarkeesian, what he's not going to do is back off being aggressive. He is an aggressive play caller. He is a go-for-the-throat kind of dude. He does not feel bad for you. You get a gimpy ankle out there. He's not going to wait a couple of series and let you get back to full speed because it wouldn't be fair to go after you. He's going to go after the throat. That's what he did to them last year. Remember, Steve Sarkeesian's face Barry Odom. Barry Odom being the Arkansas defensive coordinator, They went up there when Sark was with Bama in, I think it was December last year, and just pasted Arkansas. Now, that was a different dynamic, obviously. When you got Devontae Smith in the house and you got the kind of talent that he did at Alabama, it's a different world, obviously. But I think if they grab that early lead, and Texas was able to do it finally last week, if they grab that early lead, you force Arkansas into a lot of uncomfortable positions. You're forcing them into having to play catch-up with the kind of quarterback that they're not ready to let throw the ball 30, 35 times right now. So if you're Arkansas, you got to avoid that deep end. By any means necessary, special teams, I don't care what you got to do, you got to keep Texas from being up a couple of possessions early. So let's take a look, Jesse, at what the Vegas versus late kick model situation is right now. Uh, Remember last week, it loved Texas. I did not hand it out on our super secret Friday night Instagram live gambling chat. I told you the model is screaming, take Texas minus the points. I didn't, and that's my fault. This week, what does it say? Well, the Caesars line in Vegas right now is Texas minus six and a half. The model is virtually dead even with the Vegas number. We got Texas minus six. So I'm looking at this today, and I'm asking myself, I'm trying to make a case for Arkansas, not just to cover. I'm trying to make a case for them to win. I went back and watched both games at my desk earlier today, and I couldn't paint the picture. I'm not saying it's not there, but if I'm trying to be right here, I'm going to take Texas to win, and here's what I think is going to happen in the end. I think what is a brutal game early on and what I think is a completely lit Reynolds Razorback Stadium early on is going to realize how long a four-quarter game is, and I think 
there's going to be a time in this game, if you're holding an Arkansas ticket, where you feel more than confident. Not only do you got the plus six and a half in your back pocket, but we may just win this thing outright. And then at the end of the game, Texas will not only have won, somehow they will have covered. And you're going to look at it and you're going to say, how did Arkansas not at least cover? Forget winning. How did they not at least cover? In fact, if you bet Rice last week, the same way you felt with that Rice ticket, well, that's going to have its role reversed this week. So it would be massive now if Sam Pittman gets this win. And I do not discount the passion and the -the over-the-cliff mentality they have there. I know I've talked about it ad nauseum. I just feel a little bit better about Texas right now. So I'm going to take Texas to win, and I'm going to take a minus anything under seven. We move on. we got one more game preview, and i got two best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express to add. And I'm keeping an eye on the board here to make sure the lines don't move. It's probably irresponsible for me to wait to the end of the show. Uh, make a note, Colin. Best bets at the beginning of the show from now on. All right, so big Saturday for us all, isn't it? Big Saturday for us all. Because if you are a fan of any team that's not in the Big Ten or Big 12, then you have just latched yourself onto where the Late Kick Renaissance Tour is headed Saturday. We are going to Ames, Iowa. In fact, I'm not waiting until Saturday. I'm flying up there before that. It is going to be fantastic theater. It's going to be great atmosphere. I'll be on the sideline for it. All of you need to be watching. That you find out what your level of college football fandom is by the way you feel towards games like this. There's a crowd out there, the tourist crowd, for example, that we talk about uh, in various forms of pejorative connotation on this show. And the tourist crowd would look at Iowa State welcoming in Iowa, and they'd say, who cares about that game? You don't care about it. Move on. But you're a tourist. We're more diehard over here. This show is not for the college football tourist. This show is for passionate college football fans. Here's what you're going to have. As I said, you find out a lot about how passionate you really are as a college football fan by how you view games like this, because this is going to be awesome. You've got the rivalry aspect. It's the biggest game in the history of this rivalry. First time ever in the Seahawk game. Both of them are ranked. It will be an out-of-this-world, insane game day atmosphere, so much so that game day is going to be there. Late kick's going to be there. Urgency, if you want it, you'll have it in spades. You've got max effort. You've got an entire roster on both sides, as well as coaching staffs, willing to go towards the cliff, to the cliff, and then over the edge of the cliff. It is these people's Super Bowl. It doesn't have to mean anything in the grand scheme of the college football playoff because not everything in this sport has to revolve around the playoff. There was a time, believe it or not, prior to 2014, kids, where things not associated with the national championship got to garner some of the spotlight on any given Saturday. This game will rightfully garner the spotlight this Saturday. It's going to be an incredible environment, and if you've never experienced it, do yourself a favor. Find yourself a seat, turn on the TV Saturday at 4.30, watch this game and say, this feels like one of the biggest events I've ever seen. I did not know that I could become emotionally invested in an Iowa-Iowa State game. You can. It's called college football. That's what makes it unique unto any other sport on this planet. It's going to be great to watch. So now that I've finished the promo for the game, let me actually break down the game. Colin, I need to, need to fan myself. I got a little worked up there. Okay. So this point spread on this game is confusing people a little bit because the last thing in your mind was Iowa State struggling and just puttering their way narrowly past northern Iowa. Meanwhile, Iowa just totally wood-chippered Indiana. And a lot of you, be honest with your stuff, probably didn't watch the game, so you just saw the final score. You saw a three-and-a-half-point spread, and then you saw 34-6, to six, and you said, 
oh, I was for real. I'm not telling you they're not for real. Uh, what I am telling you, just to briefly explain why Iowa State and not Iowa is a four-point or four-and-a-half-point favorite, is the odds-makers community looks at this, and they understand the context. I'm, I, having talked to one today, here's exactly what they're thinking. And this is the kind of person, by the way, who has to put out the right number or they lose their job. They said, we viewed Iowa State as purely being in survive and advance mode. We knew it going in. We expected an ugly game. And secondly, we had a misleading final in the Iowa game. Now, I need to very carefully and very slowly explain what I mean by that because it was a misleading final. It's not misleading in terms of who won the game. 34 to 6 is the final. Iowa ran all over Indiana. Uh, it's an embarrassing loss for Tom Allen in Indiana. What we're talking about here, strictly in terms of defining future predictability, is you don't take a game where you had 20 points off turnovers, 14 defensive points, and just assume, no, that'll be the case every week. So the opinion on these two teams for an odds maker is virtually unchanged last week. One of them struggled as a big favorite, one of them pulled away as a small favorite. But yet nothing's changed, really, in the perception. This is pretty much what this line was going to be no matter what. So let's dive in. Two elements to this Iowa State offense that I expect to be marginally to significantly improve this week. Number one, as of earlier this afternoon, Charlie Kohler is back at practice. That is their All-American tight end. It is a huge addition. I don't think I need to explain why. You know about Breeze Hall. I'm going to talk about him in a second. Uh, you know about Brock Purdy, for better or for worse. You think you know everything you need to know about him. Charlie Kohler's not a household name, maybe in Iowa, but not nationally. Uh, he's a difference maker, big-time difference maker. He's back at practice today. He will, in all likelihood, play on Saturday. So you combine him with Will McDonald, who I think is the biggest difference maker out wide for Iowa State offensively, and it creates a passing dynamic that makes you choose. Whereas if those guys aren't on the field, you don't have to choose. You can just focus solely on Brees Hall. you got to choose. There are probably more dangerous elements at this point to Iowa State's passing game than you're used to seeing them have. Secondly, the tailback position will be must-see. But you probably think I'm talking about Brees Hall. And I am, but I'm not strictly talking about him. First thing we got to talk about with Brees Hall is how close to 100% is he? Because he was a little gimpy towards the end of last week, and it's not that we don't expect him to play Saturday. Now, how effectively will he play? That's what makes the return of guys like Charlie Kohler all the more important. But secondly... Let me ask you a question. What do you think about Tyler Goodson? In Iowa City, you're saying, we love him. In the Big Ten, you hardcore fans are saying, boy, we hate playing him. But nationally, in Laredo, Texas, in, uh, let's say, Ocala, Florida, what do you guys think about Tyler Goodson? And the reality is a lot of you are saying, uh, is he my cousin? Is he, is he the postman? Who's Tyler Goodson? You don't know who he is, do you? A lot of you don't know who he is. There's probably a 20 to 1 ratio of college football fans who recognize the name Brees Hall to folks who recognize the name Tyler Goodson. It's not okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. What I am telling you is it lights a fire under the seat of people like Tyler Goodson because that's a really good running back for Iowa, and he's not a true freshman either. And so when you watch the tailback battle this Saturday, not that they'll ever be on the field at the same time, but when you watch it, it's a perfect situation for a guy with a spotlight going into a game to have it jerked away from him and having a guy like Tyler Goodson not only take that spotlight but make it shine on him as he ends up being the difference in who wins and loses. Because if Iowa wins this game, mark my words, it will be because of Tyler Goodson having a career afternoon. So with that in mind, let me tell you what the model thinks about the game, then I'll tell you what I think about the game. I could literally do a show just on this game. Very excited about it. 
Vegas has this currently at Caesars as Iowa State minus four and a half. Well, the model disagrees across a key number. The model is a lot shorter, still likes Iowa State, but the model is at minus two. So the model's screaming at you to take those points. What do we think about this game? I'm going to tell you now, from a point spread perspective, I have no feel. If we pick the game against the spread, I would take any points you gave me on either side, to be honest with you. Remember, they've been screaming this ad nauseum in Iowa, but nationally, some of you may not realize Matt Campbell has yet to beat Iowa. Oh, and whatever, four or five, however often he's played him, has not beaten him. That is the 500-pound gorilla in the room up there is, yeah, you're great, and yeah, you've gotten us to heights we've never seen the program. You're going to be at Iowa this year, Matt? Good to see you. You're going to be at Iowa this year? So um, not that that really gets baked into a point spread, but eh, maybe, maybe it does because it is an intangible factor in play here. Let me tell you the two deciders in this game that land me on the pick I'm going to make. Number one, I am not 100% sold on the effectiveness of Iowa's defensive line. They got a lot of green guys there. They're good, but they're green, and I think they're going to be some plays to be had by Iowa State. And number two, Sam Laporta, from watching that game in week one against Indiana, was their go-to option through the air. It's the tight end for Iowa. Sam Laporta and who? Because there are some other guys who should be performing. I'm thinking of a couple in particular, but for whatever reason, just hadn't happened through week one. Uh, not that they needed it last week. they got to have guys other than Sam Laporta step up. And for those two reasons, given the safety that I think I have in siding with Iowa State's offense, you take the points, not even picking against the spread, I'll take Iowa State to win and get Matt Campbell's first ever victory against their in-state rival, the Iowa Hawkeyes. But I'll tell you who's going to be the real winner is anyone who tunes into that game and us for having the privilege of being there. Can't express enough how forward we are looking to being in Iowa State Saturday. Okay, speaking of which... Actually, it's not speaking of which at all. It's one of those just transitions that like word vomit comes out, even though what I'm about to say has nothing to do with that game we just talked about. We got two new additions for the Ramen Noodle Express to wrap the show up. Okay, so before these lines move, and let me make sure they're still where they should be. I think they are. Okay, Oklahoma State minus 12. We gave you that earlier in the week. I gave you Memphis minus four earlier in the week. We have two new additions. Texas State plus one. They're traveling to Florida International. Believe it or not, I'm not going to break the game down, but I am giving you Texas State plus one. And do you know, just as much as I made fun of people betting on rice earlier, we are going to bet on Vanderbilt football after they got housed at home by an FCS opponent last week. Why? Because we don't bet teams, we bet numbers, and our numbers are actually saying that Vanderbilt's going to win the game outright. It is a Vicky Valancourt special. I texted Barton Simmons today. I'm so confident in it. That ain't no guess. That's how it's going to be. Vanderbilt's just going to win the game outright. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And so we're going to take Vanderbilt plus seven. We're not money lining them. Even I'm not that dumb. But we are going to take Vanderbilt plus seven. So in summary, we've got Memphis minus four. We've got Oklahoma State minus 12. We're taking Texas State plus one. Uh, we like them on the money line as well, if that's where you can get them. And we like Vanderbilt plus seven. Well, we're betting Vanderbilt plus seven. Uh, I would be foolish to actually watch that game because that, that can only lead to bad things. So we got a full show under our belt now, 45 minutes, beautifully done. Uh, make sure you are following on Twitter and Instagram. I think you guys who were following last week got a taste in several different instances of what I'm talking about, the added value is there. You got the behind-the-scenes access. You got the super secret, yet-to-be-named fully late-night gambling chat on Friday. Planning on doing that again this Friday night whenever we get into a hotel up there. Uh, so make sure you're following Twitter and Instagram, at Josh. And thank you so much, so, so much. 
for taking screenshots of the podcast, for talking about the show and tagging me in it whenever you post on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. It really helps us. Thank you so much. So get those posters ready for game day Saturday. Because anyone who can prove to me that they got on air with a late kick or Pate State Freights poster and they got airtime on ESPN, I don't know what I'm going to send you, but I'm going to send you something. So get to work. Until then, for Director Colin, for our entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. Thank you.